Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mind World Podcast. Uh, it's uh, my last podcast for the uh, year of 2021, believe it or not. Uh, you'll probably get this podcast somewhere in early January. So if you are, then Happy New Year, and, and uh, may it be a great new year. May 2022 be a fantastic one. Speaking of new things, we've got a new guest as well on the podcast today, and, and today's podcast is going to be all about uh, contract mining and asset and resource management and all things uh, interesting in those worlds. Our guest today, well, we've got two guests on. First is my uh, colleague and friend, Leon Cosgrove, uh, who is Vice President for MineRP in the Asia-Pacific region. Welcome to the podcast, Leon. Uh, thank you, Ippy. Yes, and let's hope uh, next year is uh, a prosperous and uh, less eventful uh, time. There we go. <laughs> Our second guest today is Tony Milton, and uh, Tony is uh, is certainly no stranger to us. Um, he's currently technical director for uh, Viatech or Viatech Technologies Global, and um, he's going to be our technical guest today. He's going to talk to us about all things interesting. As as, as we were reviewing his his CV just now, Leon and I did have to have a little a bit of a chuckle because I I hardly knew how to pronounce or or what to make of some of his qualifications. <laughs> yes. Tony, yeah, he has a BSc honours in construction management and then a PhD, wait for it, in rheology. Uh, Tony, welcome to the Mind World podcast. And uh, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit more about yourself. And for those of our listeners who, like me, wouldn't have a clue what rheology was, tell us about that as well. I will. Let me tell you, I got to Perth. Um, I'm an ex-Englishman. I'm very much Australian now. I was, even though I was born in England. <laughs> I choose to live in Australia. I have done for the last 40-odd years. I was lucky enough to get a BSc and a PhD from the University of Reading. Rheology is, if you take it from the Greek, it's the study of flow. Yeah. And generally, it has two sort of applications. Firstly, without rheology, you would not be able to understand how to put slight pipelines together to, to get the, uh, the extrusion properties you get from high solid pipelines. And the other thing in material, material science, which is what I studied, was to study the interaction between time and temperature and flow. For example, glass is, is a, a liquid. And if you measure 400-year-old glass, it'd be twice the thickness at the bottom as it will be at the top. And that's the rheological properties of glass. That's just the fact that many, many, many things you think are solid are in fact liquids. And if, of course, if you heat glass, it melts. But it does the same yeah. thing over time as well. So that's what rheology there's does. Very, there's a very right. famous experiment in um, at the Queensland University where they poured uh, a pitch into a into a funnel, and you've been watching the drip fall out every, I think it's every 20 years or something like this into a into a beaker. And there's a, a big event when this happens, when the when the, the drop finally yeah. comes out. Yeah. <laughs> so when I left university, I joined Bechtel in the UK, and I worked in the oil and gas industry. And then I um, then I met an Australian girl, and in 1980 she said, because uh, I started work in 1978, because I'm an, an, old, an old dude now, she said she was going to go home, and thought, well, I might as well come too. So I immigrated in 1980, and, uh, and sorry people from England, but it's the best thing I could have ever done. I uh, I continued my journey with Bechtel. I went to New Zealand. I worked in America. I worked all over the place. Generally, now I was working in the mining and mineral. So what I do, I built a couple of smelters at Boyne Island and uh, uh, over in New Zealand at T.Y. Point. I uh, got bored with the third one, so I then joined a company called Kinhill, which is a forerunner to KBR. Ended up 
being the expert manager for the Here Island gold mine back in the day before it, was a, before it became a real project. Um, and then I sort of basically been working as a project services director for Swarney PCN companies here in Australia. The last one of which I did was I spent 10 years from 2004 to 2014 as the EGM of all the work that one of the EPCMs, Calibre, did for Rio. And at that time, we built all the railroads for the Pilgrim Network for Rio Tinto and about 50% of all the mine capacity. So at one, any point in time, I had up to 1,250 people who could ruin my day. It was a quite a challenging role, quite an exhausting role. And so in 2014, I decided I was going to sort of work part-time. And one thing that happens when you work part-time is that firstly, you get to do some very interesting assignments, which I still do for DHP, Rio, South 32, and a few other mining companies here. But it also gave me a chance to actually talk to people. And when you talk to people, you can connect things together, which is basically how right. my journey with MineRP actually started, because I was introduced over coffee by a gentleman to Kevin Hudson. And Kevin Hudson is a founding director and still is a, a major shareholder of Flowcentric. And of course, mm -hmm. Flowcentric and MineRP are very well connected. It's uh, yes. their software, software is white labeled into it. So there was the start of a relationship. So as I was still doing private consulting work and was working with Flowcentric and therefore was introduced into MineRP for the first time, just before I was about to jump on a plane and come over and meet one RP for the first time in South Africa, um, a friend of mine said, I've got this project and we need to have a, a piece of software that can bind all the pieces of project management into one package. And uh, when I got introduced to mine RP, the first gentleman I met in mine RP was Bruce McBeth, who, as you would know, is the senior vice president of sales. And mm -hmm. I opened up my, this amazing PowerPoint presentation and said, Da-da, can you do this? And they went, we'll dumb down our software, Tony, and to do that for you. So that was how the journey, <laughs> my journey with MineRP started, which was basically say, could we use this amazing platform to actually do something outside of mining operations? And they, I think the answer to that is yes. So that's how it all started. So over the last, oh gosh, I can't remember how many years, it's been a few years now. <laughs> we, uh, we have sort of worked alongside and with, with MineRP and to the extent now that I'm now involved in three companies that have related with MineRP. The first thing is I'm a shareholder in Flowcentric Australia now. I am a director and a shareholder in a company called VITech. And we've also formed another company with, with the predominantly the Flowcentric people called GOVR, which is a joint venture company between ourselves and a, a health company, Singular Health, who specialise in AI and machine learning in the health space. What they do is they gather... Uh, PET scans, CRIs, and whatever, and pushing it into one three-dimensional model, which is then used for prediction work, doing 3D modeling. They mold bits of brain casings and all that sort of stuff. And what we've done is use is to take the same volumetric processing engine, rendering engine, and use it for mining. So that's what GOVR is. At the moment, in terms of our relationship with MineRP, we have a software license agreement where we are taking MineRP and using it as asset RP so we can use it in the construction industry for the management of the construction, the operation of assets. Um, we have a, a memorandum of understanding where we are helping MineRP uh, develop their product in the contract mining space instead of the actual mining houses. And again, with GOVR, we have, we have, we have signed a technology agreement to, to see if we can take our GOVR engine and use it as the volumetric and rendering 3D vending engine for the MineRP platform. That sounds fantastic. Uh, Leon, 
why don't you also just remind our listeners about your role in Minor P and and very briefly how you got uh, into this relationship. All oh, right, yeah. So, um, so my role uh, in in Minor P is the vice president for Asia Pacific. Yeah, so I'm based in Brisbane, and yeah, Asia Pacific is a very large territories as I have <laughs> been experiencing. So. Um, all the way from Russia through the Central Asia, all through India, Middle East. Um, yeah, that's all I've got, and it's a, it's a very very busy, very dynamic, um, very culturally diverse um, region, which um, yeah, which which makes it interesting. But you know, we're getting a lot of um, a lot of traction in um, in those regions as well, and um, so yeah, here in Australia as well, um, you know, we, we're you know, we're getting a lot of notice notice on what we're doing. And um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a very uh, uh, interesting uh, time for us. I think uh, next year, especially. Um, yeah, so uh, how I got to meet the company. Um, yeah, through actually Bruce of all people. He seems to be the connector. Uh, yeah, there's a common denominator <laughs> there between you and Tony. That, that's right. Yes, yes. And um, yes, yeah, so I met Bruce back in 2016 when I was working um, for a, an SI called uh, Wipro. And um, there was an opportunity that came up around um, a data management opportunity with BHP Coal. So we worked together on, on that opportunity, um, you know, framed up the project and approach, and then we put our input in there as well from our side. And, and it was very good collaboration. When I was in Canada, I moved over there, and then with the purchase of uh, with Dundee of uh, of uh, my IP, um, all of a sudden. Uh, uh, quite a lot of the Exco uh, from from Mine RP were coming over into Toronto, where I was uh, was living at the time. So uh, right. that's how I got to meet everyone. Um, you know, Peter, um, yourself, MP, um, you know, John, uh, John McGowan, uh, John Rue, uh, all the guys, and uh, then I became the unofficial um, uh, rugby coordinator for everybody when uh, everybody <laughs> came over. So you know, there's an expat pub in. Um, in Toronto called uh, Hemingways, and uh, so he yep. organised uh, lunches to for, coincide with the spring tour matches that were on um, <laughs> over there. So yeah, it was good to meet those guys, and yeah, just through that relationship and just talking, um, yeah, it just sort of uh, went along to a um, time when Peter came and asked me, um, it was in July last, uh, in 2019, if I wanted to uh, joined the company as the, uh, the VP for the region, and um, it was a very easy decision. So Leon and um, Tony, we're going to be talking today about, uh, well, I guess let's firstly talk a little bit about asset resource planning or, or, or asset RP, which is kind of an offshoot of the spatial RP uh, building information management world out there. Interestingly, uh, maybe to you, Tony, there's a lot of uh, overlap or similarities between the worlds of mining and the world of construction. Now, I've heard someone say that, um, you know, in the one you you construct or, or, or you deconstruct, and in the other one you construct. It's like just construction in reverse when you go <laughs> when you do mining. Uh, but there there is a lot of similarity. And uh, Tony, why don't you just maybe tell us a little bit about how the worlds of construction and mining are similar? Well, I think at the end of the day, you've got a plan, you've got people, you've got resources and materials, and they all need to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, very much behind that, the philosophy that I've used is that you, know, you need to have a well-managed project, a well-created project, and it needs to be well, well run. So from our perspective, when I looked at the life cycle of a mine and the life cycle of an asset, or one of the same. Mm. You, exploration is, is very similar. You design, you then mature, you construct, 
you operate and then you deconstruct at the end of it. You decommission the plant. So think about a mic. You go to very, very similar stages, do you not? So the, mm -hmm. the lifespan of a of lime might be longer, might be shorter than an asset. But it, what's horrifying me now is that I'm now closing down mine products I was built 15, 20 years ago, which is really worrying me because I've been through the life cycle. And I've actually I've just finished doing the closure, closure of Channel and Eastern Ranch now, which is one of the first projects we worked on some time ago. Yeah. So I think that's the same thing. So even though the wheel of the planning is, is not the same, it is very similar. So when we do the design, the designs may be a, big, a bigger issue when you're in the construction phase, depending on what you're building, of course, but it all must be well designed. So mm. we can use the BIM uh, power within MineRP to actually integrate the technical side of that. That's to bring the technical data in. But I think that SNRP goes beyond BIM. Why? Because now we want to bring in all the procurement, expedite and inspection processes. So you actually know what materials and equipment are arriving when. And where, of course, isn't it? So there's no resource planning without knowing where stuff is and supposed to be going. <laughs> Correct. And then when it gets to site, these days, we're getting much, much better at actually tracking things to site. We actually know what has actually arrived and where it is on the site because we now can use you know, RFIDs and uh, other scanning devices to actually know precisely when something arrives on site. So again, that sort of needs to be integrated into a total management system. We, we yeah. talk about, about having intelligent workers. Well, Infocentric, we've already designed and put it into the, the whole SRP package where we've created a, a, a supervisor's diary. So all the VOCs of all his people are on, on his power, on his device. So when he gets to site, he knows that that person is accredited to do the job. He has got the, got the tickets and he can actually do it. So that sort of management of the human capital on the project right. is also a vital piece of the pie, which is very much similar to geofencing people in, in a mine site. Well, can you imagine that geofencing in a mine site is also important on a construction site because you've got falling from heights, got things not walking under loads, where we've actually demonstrated that we can actually give you a virtual supervisor. What we mean by that is in your digital twin, you could actually see through heat spots where your people are. And if they're glowing red, it means that they're not supposed to be there. They're not certified. They haven't been trained. They're not supposed to be there. As opposed to green, which means they are in the right place at the right time. And we do that also with construction equipment. So right. what it means is you can actually have a virtual site, which is very useful, as well as all the amazing mathematics and goes behind all this thing to get all the progressing. Because the one thing that we've learned from working with MinRP is that instant and constant reporting is where we're going. And the industry is going that way. No longer yeah. do you write reports at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, which are tiresome paper that nobody reads anymore. It's all towards getting instant constant reporting and dashboards and then drilling down from areas. Well, it works in the mining space. It certainly works in the asset management space. Yeah. So, Leon, we always kind of half-jokingly say, you know, for something to be a digital twin or for someone to be twins, they have had, they had to have been born on the same day or at the same time, isn't it? So why don't you just tell us a little bit about the digital twin or, or maybe give us a working definition if you wouldn't mind, what a digital twin could be for a whole mine. Yeah, well, the, the, when you start um, building together the whole concepts of actually, you know, the, the, the actual infrastructure that's going on the on the operation itself, and also what's mm -hmm. actually happening with in terms of the capital works, um, which happens underground as well, in terms of actually developing you know, your, your development drives and all this that goes together. You know, the understanding of that complete picture of, uh, you know, where things are, what's the state of those uh, of, of, of those assets, um, the, the, the understanding of, of all that, 
sort of uh, information in there. And then also the ability to understand the state of what that information of that um, physical infrastructure is as well is really, really critical. And um, you, you see a lot of people going out there saying that they have digital twins in terms of saying, oh, we can do optimization or we can do uh, a simulation. That's just, just a, a part of, of a digital twin. But when, when you actually can bring all that together, when you can actually visualize it in three dimensions or in two dimensions in terms of how you want to slice uh, your views up, how you can actually bring in optimization as well and have that integrated together, um, you know, have the ability to simulate um, that approaches as well. That's when you're getting to a true yeah. digital twin. You know, that's, that's and, and this is what um, we can do with MineRP and AssetRP. And also now we've got that extra ability now to actually with the integration with other platforms providing that financial component as well. So we you know we've obviously coined that term people have heard before, that digital triplet. And now now right. we've even going even further. We've we're going into the um, ESG components as well, getting to the net carbon and um and other parts around sustainability, looking into terms of diversity components in terms of supply of materials and things like that to, to, to your operations. And that's going to affect everything from you know your your asset side of the equation from your fixed plant. And those sort of areas in terms of it also into your mining operations. So just a, a, a digital twin is just not just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a thing and then seeing a bunch of sensors going off. It's got everything that's involved around the mine, everything that is sort of affecting it. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. it's, so, so we've got the physical asset or assets and we've got its digital representation as, you know, yep. with regards to its state and its status. Um, and its whereabouts and, and what it's supposed to be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And we've got this this uh, financial triplet, which says, okay, where is it in its depreciation life cycle, but also what's the work on a uh, cost that it's doing and is it doing it effectively? And 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 how about the consumables that it's supposed to be using uh, you know, as it does its work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got all of these, let's call it the streams and reams of data coming at us, telling us about everything at the same time. You know, many of us have seen this uh, this meme of the dog drinking from the fire hydrant, you know, <laughs> and it might be enjoying itself, but it's not really getting much done. Um, so, Tony, where is the value? How do we tie all of this together? Let's let's look at a major construction site, maybe. Maybe a plant is being commissioned, uh, well, being built. How do we tie all of this together to really add value to the company? There's many ways it adds value. I mean, one of the things that kills major projects is documentation. A very good friend of ours, uh, Peter Bacon, who is, represents us in Indonesia, he worked on some projects in Qatar where the weight of the paperwork they handed over as part of the maturity de development report ended up being 47 container loads of paper. I mean, seriously, <laughs> and we haven't been able to think about doing anything outside that because the industry hasn't had the bandwidth to do anything other than just follow the road. But these days, clients don't want you to waste time. It's burning hours. They want to see you being productive. Yeah. So any, any, if by integrating everything, by, by having one source of the truth for documentation, instead of arguing over everything, there's only one source of data, by, only, by integrating all of the elements from designing it, procuring it, delivering it to site, building it in one data set, means that you can actually now start to get some efficiencies. You actually know where you're going as opposed to thinking you know where you are. And then, then the quality of the information that we can give back to the client at the end of the build phase means then that it, it now smooths very quietly into the asset management phase so that all the documentation now sits in exactly the right place 
you know that you've got from your digital triplet, quadruplet, whoever it is today, you can actually tap on a drawing and know precisely what, what happened to that pump, where it was built, where it was bought, what model number it is, when it was last serviced, whatever information you want is in one single place. Now, what BIM will tell you is that they're doing that, but BIM will only deals with the technical side. Really, what we can do with that sort of peer force is saying include all of the non-technical information and the financial data, right. the actual financial data, not, not thought about maybe data. And then, of course, once you actually operate an asset, one of the issues that comes to mind is the fact that shutdowns in major uh, mining plants, particularly here in the west of Australia, routinely the mines will work 13 weeks and have a two-week shutdown. Um, and they want to move mm -hmm. away from that because that eats into your production per year. So what they'll be doing more and more is moving towards running things until they almost break, which means now you need to get lots of okay. sensor data yeah, so that you actually understand what's happening, so condition monitoring information, you know, you're going to check all the oil, so that we're now going to get more technical in the way that projects are going to be managed into the future. So therefore, the volumes of data are going to go up. The, the issues that you're going to be wanting to record is going to go up. And now you need to have a platform where you can use machine learning to actually work out that that gearbox is going to fall down in about three weeks' time. And that's one of the things I saw with MineRP is that you take out some of the volume, velocity, and, and variability of data and actually stream it with the MineRP platform so you can actually make more sense of it. So if you like, you're not like King Canute saying, tide, don't stop, but you're actually chewing it down so you can actually do some sensible stuff. So that, you know, and, and as you know, more than I do, then the people like IBM with Watson and other people can then actually use that data to start actually doing some of the, the predictive work um, much better. Yeah. So that's what I saw it being. And it's taking on the construction industry because the margins are lower. You know, the, the, mm. in the construction industry, the margins are lower, but there's a little bit of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out happening now. If they don't do this, they're going to fall behind. And so there's generally... Yeah. What we're seeing is more activity in actually wanting to move into this digital world and not just BIM. They actually want to actually understand how this is all happening. To that extent, we yes. got a purchase order last week to integrate all of, a, of one of the EPCM's non in, in, in their engineering progressing data and getting it into P6 and from Primavera P6 back out to the engineering yeah. system. So that's the first one of those things we've done. So, and Primavera is the preeminent. Project management system project used management. globally, the mining industry construction system. Yeah, so it is. Yeah. You know, it's owned by Oracle, which you know is is yeah. is very good. But it's it's certainly that first job that we've got is the start. We think of people actually understanding that you can't have people doing things with bits of paper anymore. Leon, you know, Tony has talked today about all of these uh, sensors and all of the other systems and our Primaveras in there and your ERPs in there, certainly from a uh, purchasing uh, perspective and logistics perspective and so on. Surely, you know, we're not suggesting here that people rip out all of those systems and try and replace. So, Leon, what's asset RPs in approach towards integration? No, no, it's um, it, we, 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 we love all players um, uh, in there. We... <laughs> Uh, the, whole, the whole the whole basis for um, you know, around mine RP is around the interoperability, um, about the ability to integrate in. So we you know we we realise there's a lot of a lot of efforts being put in by companies in terms of like putting in um, their project management systems and 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 they've trained all these people up around the processes around these uh, areas. So it's like it's you know you come along and say oh you got to replace them with our um, scheduling tool and um, and it's going to be seeing well, no, you can't do half the things that I've got here. So it's it's really um, the, 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 what, what we're saying to them is that we can bring that data into our platform. 
and we can bring that scheduling information and then we can actually then start to marry that up with other scheduling information that's important inside that particular frame of work that you're doing. So in terms of like if you're doing activities and work, so you say for around construction, there's many types of activities that are going to be occurring. You know, you might have around the um, around just pure construction around coming out of the Primavera system, but there might be other activities in terms of like environmental requirements or other things that are coming along. And you need to start bringing that together. Within MineRP, we have this concept we call master business scheduling. So bringing all of the schedules together and then you're able to actually able to look in terms and bring those schedules together, look at the conflicts that are occurring and then able to re-optimize that. And we can, you know, we've got abilities to do um, that re-optimization within the platform and enable then have a, a, a leveled a leveled schedule then, which you can then give over then to do proper scheduling um, and, and shift scheduling within your, um, your business and then assign the resources to. That's a, that's a really critical part of where, where, where MineRP and SRP brings to a business, that ability around that master business scheduling component. And also we've got our other, other systems in there around our work manager tools, which then equally used um, within the asset RP space and also um, within MineRP as well around that uh, work execution activities that occur on uh, in, within a building project or construction and then it's also mining. Two of the many great features in MineRP is that I feel is very important. Firstly, is it's a transactional database. So it means you've got a full history. You can sign up and down the time scale and you can actually see things yeah. happens when it happened, forward and backwards, which is great. The other thing is, and what's really, really quite neat and quite important is that you can visualize the schedule. So you can actually, mm. when you're planning the project, actually see it in 3D, building the project to make sure that that sequence is correct. That you, and if you're doing, particularly doing a shut, for example, you can actually make sure that one crew is not working above another crew, which is a, right. obviously a, a, a safety clash. So it, it has a lot of applications that make it very practical at every level. Forward thinking at the planning, early planning stages or indeed on, on the next shift. It's not only about stopping work being assigned, to one team in two places, but it's also about using uh, the place, this, the actual space as the common denominator and checking that different tasks can actually happen in that place safely and productively, et cetera. Correct. Yeah, because so, you know, the last thing to do is, 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 to, is to build in a non-safe environment. So with this, you can actually make sure and test <laughs> that you are being safe by geofencing every activity. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned the global supply chain interruptions, and as we draw this to a close, Tony, um, what were some of the major impacts you know, that that global supply chain interruptions uh, that we've had experienced uh, over the past year uh, introduced? And maybe you can tell us uh, you know, a little bit about um, some of the experiences you had. Um, I know that we've talked previously about a, a, you know, a supply chain interruption story at BHP. BHP were in the middle of uh, building a fairly major expansion to their to their portfolio, and when they were they had something like three and a half thousand people working on steel in China, and when COVID broke, three thousand of those people just disappeared, and so there was at least a ten month pause in their project because they couldn't get work. So that was the immediacy of what happened in 1920. But what we're seeing now is that there is a you know, almost a permanent ripple in the supply chains. So mm. where, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, containers now cost not five thousand but fifteen thousand dollars to move across a major ocean. Um, we've been, you know, I have recommended to BHP that with, with the rest of the team I'm working with, that BHP buy their big steel 
this year for building in 2024, because it is seen that every time you speak to any vendors, they will tell you they will give you a price subject to getting steel. The ships that are going to take a material potentially from here in Perth just, uh, up to Port Hedden, it's about a 1,600 kilometre trip, a 20,000 tonne ship last year would have cost you $800,000. Now it's 1.2 million euros. It's oh. just telling you that there's these constraints. There are certain pipes you can't burn the water. There are certain valves that if you want, you have to buy two or three years in advance. So there's been this, so there was a, if you like, the wave crashed, but it's mm. still ripping to the shore. And this ripple is going to go for, nobody knows, three, four, five years. So it just means, though, that your planning has to be so much more detailed and done so much earlier these days to ensure that work you want to do in four or five years' time can still be there to be done if you're working on one of these so is that going to put a, a is that going to put a throttle, you think, Tony, on capital projects? I think it will. And I think in, in my part of the world, uh, it's going to be worse because, of course, we've built this fence. So we couldn't have anybody coming in from, from interstate or even overseas. A lot of people working in, in our part of the world actually live in other countries and fly in for four weeks at a time and fly out again. Um, but mm. you're seeing globally that, yes, it, it's going to put a stranglehold. If you like, we're, we're, we're predicting here that the sort of lunacy that we went through in the early 2000s is going to be repeated, where you've got to do much, much more work, much, much more work, much, much earlier to actually achieve project outcomes. Gentlemen, we uh, we can keep on talking about this for a long time still, um, but unfortunately we've run out of time, so we shouldn't. <laughs> uh, I would like to maybe just just stop before we formally finish and ask you, Tony, what makes in the specific offering, you know, the flow entry uh, VI Tech offering that uh, that you represent. What is unique in what you bring to the market, in a, or to the world of construction and asset management, that you think is the, is, is the major value add? Well, I think COVID has actually helped our first central business a lot because, it, because it's a business process uh, management platform, it actually enables you to work away from the office um, and work mm -hmm. at home. So one of, the, one of the clients we're working for use, um, has massive mind models and you can't when you're working in an office, you can lean over the you can lean over the, over the desk and say, "Files now yours." If you're working at home, yeah. you can't do that for two reasons. Firstly, it, the file can't be on your computer because nobody else gets access to it. So we had to get them up into space, into the, uh, the SARS environment, and yeah. then we then developed processes which pushed um, which pushed uh, they, they pushed it from geologist to geologist to the mine engineer to whatever it is. We actually automated that process, so they can now yeah. safely make sure they've got the process being followed, they've got the right plan, it's in the right place, and therefore they can action the next blast if that's what, the, that's what we've done. And we've done that now for a couple of companies. And so it's so what we bring is a system that platform that sits across the top of everybody's legacy systems and doesn't interfere with them, connects them together, and then uses formal process, business processes to actually move That digitizes the flow. Yes, and it escalates issues, and if there are problems, it, it lets you know there are problems. So that, in effect, isn't that why you put it into side mine RP? It was precisely because of that power. Exactly. Yes. But yeah. now, but now, of course, many other people are caught. And, and as I say, COVID helped us. Mm -hmm. yeah. Working away from the office. Gentlemen, thanks so much. We normally end this this podcast by asking our guests what's on their bedside table because we want to get a bit of a, a look into your psyche and see what's going on and and what you're reading and why you're reading. So let's start with you, Leon. Oh, I got a couple of things. I got an audio book. 
I'm listening to at the moment. It's a it's a bit of a favourite of mine. I always go back to it. It's, uh, it's called uh, Consolidations of Philosophy. And it's uh, written uh -huh. by a guy called uh, Alan the Boaten. And I just really liked uh, how he's just um, gone across uh, different philosophers around different areas of uh, let's say areas of your life that you, you will come come up against. And they always find a good book to go back to and, and listen uh, to read. And but also, you know, audio book is great because you can get to listen to it as well. Find out a really a really valuable book. And another one I'm reading, which I which I was uh, sort of showing a few before, the book called can, "You Can Negotiate Anything." And get you away in every situation. It's a it's, a, it's an oldish book, but uh, in there there's a very interesting a chapter called uh, on negotiating um, uh, Soviet style and how to uh, uh, deal with uh, that, that particular uh, type of negotiating tactics. And um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, I'm telling you, it's um, yeah, it's a very good book. Uh, so I mean, yeah, so but recommend it to anybody actually. Sounds great. Sounds great, Tony. Over to you. I spend a lot of my time sitting in front of computer screens crunching numbers these days. So I try and find something completely do when I'm not doing that. And, and like Leon, I love playing the new technical Lego sets. So uh -huh. my darling wife has bought me the new D11 dozer set, which ends up being like about two foot by one foot by 16 inches high, that you remote control from your iPhone. So that's going to be my, my present to myself and my missus uh, for next year. And what do I read? Anything and everything. I, at the moment, I'm reading obviously reading a Lego manual, but I'm mean, reading just just <laughs> say just, that. That's just <laughs> yeah, the one the one thousand page manual. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it online on my iPad. So, so like yeah, that's that's like it's slightly better because at least you you know you can pretend to be uh, manly by reading from a from an iPad. You know? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Gentlemen, it was, a, it was a pleasure speaking to you both. Uh, as we said in the beginning of this podcast, hopefully 2022 will be fantastic here for the both of you. And thanks a lot for being our guests. Well, no, thank thanks you. Thank you. It's a pleasure.